So uh, this morning I was looking really at that story about Solomon as a model king, son of David, but how even that king failed and we need to look to the true son of David, Jesus, the one who is able to bring us into a complete experience of entering into the house of God. Now this evening I want to take a little bit of a different tack. We're in the same chapters. We're in 1 Kings 1 through 11 today. Uh, but I'm going to look at one of the stories, or a couple of stories here about Solomon. And uh, the, 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 the message today is, co- is called Son of David. But tonight's message could be called Justice for Prostitutes or Hope for Hookers. Um, take your choice. First Kings chapter... We're going to start in chapter 4. It would be really helpful actually if you've got a Bible. If you haven't got a Bible, grab one of them there uh, around. We're going to start in First. Kings chapter 4, verse 29. And this just gives us a picture of Solomon's wisdom, what he was like. So, 1 Kings 3, Solomon prays for wisdom, God gives him wisdom. And this is what it says, 1 Kings 4, verse 29. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight, and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East, and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. The uh, certain cultures, nations renowned for being wise. The Egyptians, people of the East, Persians, the Chinese, wiser than them. He was wiser than anyone else, including this well-known character, Ethan the Ezraite. Wiser than Heman. Heman, remember him from the cartoons back in the, in the 70s? Heman. Uh, wiser than Heman, Calcol and Dada, the sons of Mahor. Even wiser than them. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life from the really big stuff, like the seed of Lebanon, to the small stuff, like the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. From all the nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his Wisdom. It's this picture of Solomon, who incredibly wise, incredibly knowledgeable, who studies the natural world. It's a good thing to do, to study the natural world. He, he was interested. He was interested in the trees. He was interested in the little plants that grew out of the walls. He was interested in the lizards that scurried around in his palace. He knew about the birds. He studied the fish. He knew about them all, and he wrote proverbs and songs to describe them and help people to remember and we of course have the book of proverbs ourselves many of which are written by solomon words of wisdom which we can recall things which are easy to bring to mind and help us to live a wise life this is solomon incredibly wise now we go back a chapter and we get the first instance in solomon's rule of him exercising this wisdom first kings chapter 3 verse 16 now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. Now, that's, that's interesting. Two prostitutes come and stand before the king. Of course, in this context, uh, the ultimate court of judgment was to go to the king. He was the, he was the judge. The traditional name of, in, in Israel of the leader was the judge, the person who would settle disputes. And so Solomon is the ultimate authority. He's got a dispute. And somehow these two women get to come and stand before the king. And they're prostitutes. And that's interesting that two prostitutes feel they've got Freedom, the right to come and stand before the king and have him adjudicate. Actually, the stories about prostitutes, and we should do this as a sermon series, prostitutes throughout the Bible, because there are many stories about prostitutes in the Bible when we can learn a lot from their stories. We learn a lot from this story. One of them said, Pardon me, my lord, 
This woman and I live in the same house. I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. Now, of course, this is an occupational hazard for prostitutes. Uh, certainly before effective contraception, prostitutes tend to have babies. And uh, these two women are on their own, which is also an occupational hazard for prostitutes. No man around in a normal and healthy sense, just men who've been around and have left them both with babies. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. Another occupational hazard, this happens. This is why nowadays we're encouraged not to sleep with our babies in our beds, because this can happen. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side, while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning I got up to nurse my son and he was dead, but when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. A mother can tell, even at a few days old, which baby is hers and which isn't. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son, the dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, no, the dead one is yours, the living one is mine. And so they argue before the king. And you can see it, can't you? you can imagine these two prostitutes fighting it out in front of the king. Uh, they're prostitutes. I doubt they were particularly polite and demure. I'm sure they were expressing the full range of emotion in this moment before Solomon. The king said, this one says, my son is alive and your son is dead, while that one says, no, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king, and he then gave the order, Cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. Now, of course, we know the end of the story and we see the wisdom of Solomon, but just pause at this point. Imagine you've never heard this story. Maybe you haven't. Maybe this is the first time you've come across this story. Just kind of stop the movie at this point. It's a kind of da-da-da-da-da moment. What's good? Solomon, it looks like Solomon's taking a bit of a punt because... This baby might be chopped in half. That could be the outcome. The king is giving the order, and the king's order stands. If the king says, chop the baby in half, the baby gets guillotined. That's what happens. It looks like Solomon's taking a considerable risk. But the woman whose son was alive was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. What we see here is something of a of a mother's love, that she loves this child. She's a prostitute. She probably doesn't even know who the father of this child is, but she still loves this baby, and she loves him enough to want him to live, even if that means the other woman having him and her losing him. But the other said, neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Cut him in two. And that's... So it's slightly strange because actually she'd already won the baby. The woman whose baby it was said, you can have him, but she's, this other woman is so kind of emotionally all over the place, she just says, cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling, give the living baby to the first woman, do not kill him, she is his mother. That test of love. Who's the mother? Love proves who the mother is. When all Israel heard the verdicts the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Had wisdom from God to administer justice. 
So much of what we read about how uh, leadership kingship is meant to function in the Bible centers around this concept of justice, of doing the right thing. The Psalms we've been reading the last few Sundays are particularly focused on this theme about justice, doing the right thing. What is the mark of a true king, of a good ruler, that they exercise justice justly? They do what is right. They don't submit to bribery, to corruption, to entitlement. They do, they apply the law fairly, justly, accurately, impartially. And that's what Solomon does here. It's a high-stakes game that Solomon engages in, but he's a wise man. He seems to be, he obviously knows what's going to happen. He's wise enough to understand the motives and the emotions of these two women. He knows how it's going to play out. And so he makes the call he does, and justice is served. And the people see that there is a king given by God who can administer justice. Now just think about how amazing this is because the, 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 the story this is being told throughout the nation, we know we have a king who could administer justice. Centers around two prostitutes. Extraordinary. This is a king who will even give justice to prostitutes. There's hope for hookers. It's an amazing story. Let me turn to Luke chapter 7. And we see a somewhat parallel story, story of the son of David who administers justice. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life. Now, we don't know that this woman was a prostitute, but the kind of implication is that she is. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner." If the king knew what he was doing, he would know the difference between these two women and and who the baby belongs to. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. That's an easier one to judge than trying to work out the maternity of this baby. It's obvious. 500 days wages, that's what it is, versus 50, which is the bigger debt. Who's going to be the most blessed? Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Again, we see a woman's love. We see the story of the prostitute, the woman, the mother who loved her child so much that she'd rather give him up than have him killed. And we see here the love of this woman 
for Jesus. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Who's this? This is the son of David. This is the son of David. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. As a king who knows how to administer justice, go in peace. Now, these are two fantastic stories about some very troubled women who find answers through a king. One prostitute finds the life of her son returned to her because of the wisdom of the son of David. Another woman finds life restored to her because of the kindness and grace of the son of David. The gospel that we have, what all these stories point to, these stories of the kings in the Old Testament, what they point to is the story of the greater king, the king, the son of David, the one who is able to forgive us all our sins, whatever we've done. There's hope for hookers. There's hope for everyone. There's justice even for prostitutes. God is going to bring justice to the earth. There's the love of a mother, which would give up pretty much anything for the sake of a child. There's the love of a saviour, who would give up his life in order to bring us into the household of his father. This is the king who we come to. This is the king whom we serve. This is the son of David, the king of justice, the king of love, the king of forgiveness, the one who has welcomed us. There's hope for us and there's hope for the world. Let's come to him again. Let's come as his people who can say, yes, Lord, you have forgiven me. Yes, Lord, you have loved me. Yes, Lord, I can trust you. There will be justice in the world. Yes, Lord, you'll show your mercy. You show your mercy even to those who seem to be at the very lowest point in society. You lift them up and dignify them and honor them. And their stories resound throughout history because of your amazing forgiveness, grace, and love. Let's come to him. Let's come to the son of David. Let's come to the king and give him praise. I stand, I'll pray, and uh, John and the band can help us. Jesus, son of David, king of kings, thank you you have come to us and have reached out and haven't judged us. Thank you you didn't take that sword to slice us in half as our sins deserved, but you yourself took our place on the cross that our sins might be skewered and we might come step into life in you. Lord, thank you that you lift up. Even the most despised person, you were able to lift up and bring into that place of dignity and honor. Thank you, Jesus, that you do that for us. You've done that for us, and we turn to you. And so I pray, Jesus, son of David, that we'd come running to you now. We'd know fresh grace and mercy and kindness poured into our lives from you, King of kings, Lord of lords, glorious King. Amen. Let's worship him.